0: Welcome to the Compass Podcast featuring Chris Shandro and the Compass team. We hope this message is just for you. Well, welcome back. Uh, I'm Chris. I'm the pastor at Compass. It's good to see you. This is the last week of our Cost of Living message series, and you might actually be relieved. I know that I kind of am because this has not been one of the most fun or popular things that we've ever talked about at Compass. Everyone loves hearing about the benefits of following Jesus. And almost no one enjoys focusing on the cost of following Jesus. But if having the life you want will always cost you something, that's why we have the term cost of living, it means there is a price to be paid to have the spiritual life you want, particularly if that spiritual life includes being a follower of Jesus. Because Jesus talked about the cost a lot. Jesus said that if you want to be his disciple, his words, you must hate everyone else by comparison, including your parents and siblings. He said you have to hate your own life to follow him. He said that you would have to take up your cross, which was a reference to walking to your own execution. I mean, people who carried crosses were walking to their death. These are not the follow Jesus and your life will be great sermons that people wanna hear before they go and have a nice Sunday lunch with the family. These are not as fun as some of the other things that we've talked about, and yet Jesus made these difficult statements. They're on the record, but even though we've pulled some life application out of these statements over the last couple of weeks, they're still really tough to understand and make sense of because they just don't sound like things Jesus would say. These count the cost statements. They don't sound loving or kind. In fact, it sounds kind of cruel to say you must hate your family to follow me. And today, as we look at one of the harshest things that Jesus may have said in the Gospels, I don't want to just understand what he's saying. I also want to help us to develop a framework so that we can understand some of the other things that Jesus says that, that may seem out of character. Basically, I want to answer this question for us. What do we do when Jesus says something mean? So the reality is, is that we're already actually wrestling with this idea right now in our culture because people say sketchy and mean things on social media all the time that that don't come across well or fully represent who they are or what they really think. For example, I may have said a lot of things on Twitter that look pretty weird when you just flip through. I've been on it for a while. I mean... Here's one tweet where I said, Normalize watching Hallmark movies. It's okay. They are good, and they make you feel good. Now, I stand by this statement. But if it were the only thing you ever heard me say, what would you think about me? That I was a strong, confident man who was in touch with his feelings? Probably. Or maybe you'd think it's time to reevaluate what church you go to. Here's another tweet. How about this one? Uh, I said, Coffee and a banana, the breakfast of champions. And by champions, I mean people who win the gold medal in running to the bathroom the fastest. Now, if you have ever had a banana and coffee first thing in the morning, you know what I'm talking about. And maybe you think I was clever and funny when you read this. Maybe you just think I was gross. And both are probably true. But does this one tweet fully represent me? And how about this last one? Man, the Chicago Bears look really good today. I mean, that one just doesn't make any sense. That's just completely inappropriate. I don't know how it slipped through, but if I was in court and the opposing counsel was introducing these tweets as evidence of my character, I would be like, wait, this is not who I am. This does not represent me. Sometimes one statement does not paint a full picture of a person. Sometimes it takes a wider lens to see the big picture. So what do we do when Jesus says something mean, something difficult that may or may not paint a full portrait of who he is? Well, today we're going to look at something that Jesus said that, no matter how you slice it, has always come off as pretty mean, to me at least, in Matthew 8. And in verse 21, this is what happened. Another of his disciples said, Lord, first let me return home and bury my father. But Jesus told him, Follow me now. Let the spiritually dead bury their own dead. So just on the surface of this, I mean, this is a bad look for Jesus. A man wants to follow him, but asks for just a little bit of time to bury his dead father. And Jesus says, Let the dead bury the dead. It's now or never, buddy, come with me and miss your father's funeral or miss your chance to be my disciple. It's not a stretch to say that if that's what's really happening here, it's pretty cruel. So what do we do when Jesus says something mean? How do we understand this? Well, whenever we hit a difficult Bible passage, and this is what we're going to talk about a lot today. Whenever we hit a difficult Bible passage, the first thing we need to do is ask ourselves this question. What is the background and context? Are there cultural things that the original audience might have understood that we don't get? I mean, for example, we all know what the middle finger means here. But did you know that in Japan, the middle finger is sign language for the word brother? So, I mean, who knows? Maybe in Japanese churches, they greet their brothers in Christ with a holy middle finger. All I'm saying is that culture is the filter through which everything is communicated. So does the first century Jewish culture change this story at all? Well, it actually does. See, the Israelites had a mourning process when somebody died, and that process had its roots all the way back in the book of Genesis. So according to Jewish law, when a family member died, it started off this mourning period of seven days. And during that seven days of mourning, you stayed home and you grieved. You you didn't shave, you didn't bathe, you didn't do fun activities. It was just mourning. And in addition to that, when a person died, they were buried that same day. There was no process of embalming and waiting like we have today. I mean, it was quick. And this means that if the man's father were dead and awaiting burial, That this guy would have been at home already. He wouldn't have been out listening to Jesus teach. And because of this historical context, most biblical scholars believe the man's father was actually alive. And while he did have a moral, moral responsibility to be there for the burial of his father, that's not what was happening here. What the man was really saying to Jesus was this He was saying, I want to follow you but I need to wait until my father dies to do it because I have other duties and responsibilities and there are things that I want to take care of first and then when it's the appropriate time, I will totally follow you. Jesus, it's not a no, it's just a no right now. Now that changes the dynamic quite a bit, doesn't it? Well, now Jesus wasn't just coldly brushing off a man whose father had just died, but he's responding to someone who is basically saying, following you is important to me jesus but there are some other things that are more important right now but even so i mean jesus's response still seems kind of mean so after we've looked into the background and context there's a second question we need to ask when we hit tough passages like this and that's this question is this repeated anywhere else in the bible See there are major themes and ideas that are repeated in different places throughout both the Old and the New Testaments of the Bible. And I mean Jesus's story alone, his biography was documented four times in each of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. And and while the Gospels aren't identical, there are places where the same story or teaching is captured by one of these different authors. And so we've been looking at Matthew's version of this story, but Take a look at Luke's account, where there's a minor little tweak in Luke 960. This is what it says. But Jesus told him, let the spiritually dead bury their own dead. Your duty is to go and preach about the kingdom of God. So here we have the same opening statement by Jesus, but then he adds something. And he adds this. Your duty is to go and preach the kingdom of God. Now, we already know from our look into the context of this that the man basically said, I can't follow you right now because I have other duties that are more important. And knowing that, it's no surprise that Jesus responds by pointing to a greater duty, this man's responsibility to the kingdom of God, if he was going to be a disciple of Jesus. What Jesus is talking about here is how we order our principles and our priorities, There's no question that the desire to be home with your father until he dies is a good principle to have. But the cost of following Jesus means the ordering of our principles must change. Jesus and his kingdom must come first. Everything that flows from the Christian life begins at that source. Jesus must come first before family obligations, before your career, before your friends, before your politics. The proposition Jesus laid out for his would-be followers is this, Jesus first or not at all. But even though following Jesus with my whole life is a goal I can aspire to, does that still require me to be willing to reject my family, even if they aren't on board? I mean, even though Jesus is talking about how our priorities are ordered, it's still in the context of a guy leaving his family behind. And doesn't that still imply that being more devoted to him means being less devoted to my family? Because that still doesn't sit right. Well, we looked at the context and we looked at where it was repeated in the Bible. And now there's a third question we need to ask ourselves about difficult passages. And it's this. What do other parts of the Bible say about this subject? So, if the problem is that it feels like Jesus is saying that we have to literally deny our family in order to follow him. Well, what else does the Bible say about our duty to our families? Well, here's just a couple examples. Ephesians 6.1, the apostle writes this. Children, obey your parents because you belong to the Lord for this is the right thing to do. Honor your father and mother. Paul wrote this again in Colossians 3.19. Husbands, love your wives and never treat them harshly. Here we have just... Two examples from the New Testament, and the New Testament would have been written and directed at Christians, people who were followers of Jesus. And these are examples of how following Jesus should impact family relationships. And we can see that according to Paul, following Jesus should influence children to honor their parents more. That following Jesus should cause husbands to love their wives better, to never treat them harshly. This Jesus or love your family. It doesn't, it's not, and maybe it's not this either follow Jesus or love your family. Maybe it's more like follow Jesus and love your family better. But if you still need convincing that Jesus isn't demanding that we turn away from family responsibility so, to follow him, then look no further than 1 Timothy 5, 8. And Paul wrote this, he said, but those who won't care for their relatives, especially those in their own household have denied the true faith. Such people are worse than unbelievers. So in the words of Paul, who wrote this in a letter to his protege Timothy, no Christian should ever reject their duty to their families because to deny your family is to deny true faith in Jesus. And and while this is a statement that has its own context that we could get into, it does illustrate Jesus's heart. Jesus' rhetorical statement to hate your family and leave the dead to bury the dead does not mean you have a spiritual pass to ignore your duty to love and care for your family. Rather, it's an exaggerated picture of the place that he expects to occupy in the life of his followers. Jesus should be first in our lives. But here's the thing, let me remind you what exactly it is he's calling us to. 2 John 1.6 says, Love means doing what God has commanded us, and he's commanded us to love one another, just as you heard from the beginning. You see, when you order your principles and priorities with Jesus first, the outcome will always be that you love others better. Which leads to the final question to ask yourself when you are struggling with the question or about a passage in the Bible. And that question is this, how will my application of this make people feel more loved by me? Sometimes in our genuine desire to understand and apply the truth of the Bible, we can forget that in Jesus' own words, the whole ball of wax is wrapped up in his command to love God and love our neighbor. I mean, Because we forget this, it's the very reason that some Christian parents are willing to cut off children who aren't living godly enough lives. It's why some churches exclude certain people from levels of inclusion and involvement because of disagreements on secondary sin issues. We can become so focused on getting the letter of the biblical law right that we miss out on the fact that God's intended outcome for our lives is the expression of His love. And we know that Jesus doesn't tolerate putting the letter of the law over the love of people, especially family, because Jesus railed against Pharisees who were using Scripture to justify keeping money for themselves instead of using it to care for their elderly elderly parents. They put religion over people, and Jesus wasn't having it. At the end of the day, when there's a passage of Scripture that you are struggling to understand, ask yourself, how your application of it will make people feel more loved by you because that's the ultimate outcome of having a relationship with Jesus. That's the ultimate outcome of putting him over everyone and everything else in your life. You will end up loving them better and loving them more. I know that this has not been a typical message just about Matthew 8, 21 through 22. I mean, we talked around it a lot but it was really more about how we understand the Bible as a whole, how we understand Jesus, even when it's hard to. Because if we're gonna live like he lived, think like he thought and do what he taught, we need to be able to ask the right questions. Because in the same way that your interpretation of a random sampling of my tweets does not represent me, your interpretation of the difficult teachings of Jesus may not fully represent him. And that's why it's so important that we understand Jesus as presented in the Bible. So, to recap, when you're having a hard time with something in the Bible, I want you to ask yourself these questions. First, ask yourself, what is the background and context? Is there something in this historical culture that I need to understand in order to make sense of this thing that I'm reading in the Bible? Second, ask yourself this, Is this repeated anywhere else in the Bible? Is there another version of this story somewhere? Did this teaching get recorded in another book or in another chapter? And how can that help me see the bigger picture? Third, ask yourself, what do other parts of the Bible say about this subject? Was this topic expanded on by other writers of the Bible where I can get more clarity on it? And then finally, maybe most importantly, ask this, how will my application of this make people feel more loved by me. Because if it doesn't cause people to feel more of the love of Jesus through me, then I've totally missed it. I do want to thank you for sticking with me through this difficult section of Jesus's teachings. I mean, there is a cost to following Jesus that may not always make your life materially better. But it is a cost that's always worth it. It's a cost that's always worth understanding. And it's a cost that will always cause people to be loved better and to be loved more by each of us. And I want to personally invite you to accept that cost today. If you aren't a follower of Jesus, I want to invite you to say yes to his invitation today if you want to do that, I would love to connect with you. Just uh, click on the link. There's a, a web address to our connection card. Just click that connection card and let us know what's going on. Let us know how we can help you. Let us know how we can better equip you to follow Jesus. We want nothing else than to help you live like he lived, think like he thought, and do what he taught. And I will see you next time. Thank you for joining us at Compass. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. If you have any questions about Compass or this message, contact us at our website, www.compassbn.com.